Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. What does it look like to show that we lean into God, that, that he's the source of our life, that we're actually choosing his will and his way? Well, James writes this book that we call the book of James, and he says, I'm going to show you what that looks like. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in a very practical way. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't put any spin on it. There's no sugarcoating. There's no editing. It's just the unedited truth. He's peeling away any idealistic version of what Christianity may be. And he says, you want to know how to follow Jesus practically in your everyday life? He says, I'm going to show you. And the first topic that he addresses is problems. I mean, talk about practical. Who doesn't have problems? In fact, James says, we are all going to have problems. We're all going to go through trials in our lives. And James says, I want to show you how to act and react as a Jesus follower to those problems and trials. And he kicks and he tells us, so you want to get through that? You want to, how do you handle problems? How do you act? How do you react? He says, I want you to be full of joy. And I even want you to consider your problems as a gift. Again, there's no spin there. There's no spin. Now, how in the world can you guys, you and I be full of joy? How can we consider our problems a gift? James tells us. Again, he's getting real. He says, you can do that because you recognize that God's using your problems, your challenges, your difficulties to grow you, to mature you, to help you become more like Jesus. James also goes on and he tells you and I, how do you act? How do you react in the midst of our problems? He says, I want you to rejoice. Everybody shout, rejoice. Rejoice. Man, he wants us to rejoice. We don't rejoice for the problem, of course not. But we rejoice in the midst of the problem. You see, Jesus followers, they live a lifestyle of rejoicing, no matter what they're going through. And when you're going through something difficult and you're saying, okay, I'm going to be full of joy and I'm going to rejoice and I know God's going to use it to grow me and mature me, but man, it doesn't make sense. I'm not sure how to even get through this outside of just rejoicing and having joy. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure what to do. Well, James says, go ahead and ask God for wisdom. And if you do that, he'll generously give you his wisdom, but there's a condition, James says. James says, God will pour out his wisdom generously on you as long as you fully trust God, that you fully have faith in him that he will indeed pour out his wisdom, because if not, he'll withhold his wisdom from us. But God wants to pour it out if you and I will fully trust him. James goes on next, and he's going to talk about one of the biggest problems that you and I face every single day, and that is temptation. I want everybody to say temptation. temptation. Let's look at what James says. James chapter 1, verse 12. You can go in your physical Bibles or on the screen. You can just capture that QR code. It'll send you to the YouVersion Bible app where you can track along. James says, James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Everybody say trial. That word trial that you just said, in the Greek, in the original language, the word for trial or problem is also translated as temptation. In other words, sometimes what you and I are going through, sometimes it's a problem or a trial and a temptation. In fact, that's why some translators 
include that. For example, one translation of this verse says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Testing or trials or problems and temptations. What is your biggest temptation in your life? We all experience temptations differently and different things tempt us in a different way. What's your biggest temptation when it comes to food, for example? What's your biggest temptation when it comes to the area of pleasure in your life? What ways are you tempted when it comes to friendships? What about your career? How do you face temptation in your career? What about when it comes to the area of recreation in your life? You face temptations in that as well. Those of you who are married, how are you tempted in your marriage or in raising kids if you're single? How does temptation come your way in your singleness? We're tempted in the area of pleasure. What about you when it comes to your money? How are you tempted when it comes to money? We all have areas of our life where we're tempted, and we're all tempted in different ways in which uh, our temptations affect us differently. And so James tells us in our temptations, when you're being tempted, James says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial or temptation. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Notice, James tells you and I, God is going to bless you when you endure and persevere under the trial and the temptation. Now, what does that mean, bless or blessed? That word bless or blessed simply means happy. So when you and I are saying no to temptation, when you and I endure a trial, God blesses us. He fills our life with happiness. Not only does he fill your life with happiness when you endure temptations, but he also says God's going to reward you with the crown of life. That word literally means life itself. Jesus referred to it as when he said, I have come that you may have life in John chapter 10, verse 10, and have life abundantly or life to the fullest. And so God is telling us, man, when you endure, when you stand up to temptation, God is going to bless you with happiness. You're going to experience abundant life real life, life to the fullest in Jesus. So, man, since that's what God has for us, since God wants to bless you, since God wants you to experience abundant life by uh, standing up to temptation, of course, the question becomes is, how do I overcome? I want to know. How do I be victorious? How do I overcome temptation? How do I say no when everything in my body and my mind or even my spirit is, is saying yes to the temptation, how do I persevere? How do we overcome temptation? Well, James starts off and he says, hey, you want to overcome temptation? You want to be victorious in your life? He starts off with something that's kind of obvious, but he says, I want you to face the facts. I want you to face the facts. James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, when tempted. Everybody say When? When tempted, not if you're tempted, when tempted. It's inevitable. But keep in mind when the temptation comes, uh, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Man, you're going through something right now, perhaps. And there's some temptations in your life. And Scripture tells us you're not alone in what you're going through. You may feel like you're alone, but we're all in the same boat. 
Over the last 20, 30 years, uh, serving in vocational ministry, if you will, people have come and shared with me some of, their, some of their challenges, their problems, their issues, their trials. People have shared the ways in which they have been tempted, the ways in which they have fallen and sinned. Some people have sat in my office before and, and, and just weeping as they've shared how they fell to temptation and it wrecked their lives. And you know what I do when they come in and they share that? I point my finger and say, how could you fall? Is that what I do? No, of course not. No, I, I don't, no judgment there. Why? Because I want to help them. Why? Because when they're sharing their story, how they fell and how their lives are wrecked, as they are sharing that and pouring their soul out, I'm hearing that thinking of my own sin. I'm thinking of the ways in which I have fallen to temptation. And so when I listen to them, I can relate to their hurt and to their pain and to that guilt that they're experiencing. Man, it's the devil who wants to convince you and I that we're the worst, that nobody else would have fallen to that but you, that you're the worst. How could you call yourself a Jesus follower and give in to that? What kind of Jesus follower are you? What kind of Christian are you? The devil tells you and I, you can't be loved by God. He can't forgive you because you fell into temptation. Man, that's why it's so important that you and I have a community of believers around us. Solo Christianity is just, it's not a good way to live our lives. That's why we need one another. That's why we need a church body. It's why we need a life groups, small groups, mentorships, where we're connected with a smaller group of people who know what it's like to also have fallen into temptation. Because those who have actually experienced the grace of God, they're the ones who draw alongside. They don't point the finger. They're the ones who draw alongside you. They support you. They encourage you. They love you. Because they know what it's like to go through temptation. They've experienced what you experience, as the Apostle Paul says. We've all faced similar temptations. Even Jesus was tempted. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are. So Jesus knows what it's like. He's experienced the same temptations that you experience. But I praise God for the next part of that verse that says, but he did not sin. I praise God that I serve and you serve a Savior who, who did not fall into that temptation, that he's a savior who saves us from our sin, that he's able to save us from our sin. How do we handle temptation? We just start with the obvious and we face the facts. We're going to be tempted. But since we know we're going to be tempted, the way we then overcome temptation and we be victorious in our lives is we don't blame God and we take responsibility. We don't blame God and we take responsibility. Are you familiar with the story of Adam and Eve? A lot of you might, might be familiar with that. God, I'll give you the story in a nutshell. God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden to enjoy life with and before God. And God told them, you, this is all for you, and you can enjoy it, and you can eat from any tree 
except for the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Well, if you know the story, Eve ends up being tempted by the devil. She ends up eating from the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil. She then convinces Adam to do the same. God comes in, finds Adam, and says, hey, Adam, what's the deal? Why did you do this? Why did you disobey me? And Adam's thinking to himself, well, God, you know, it's this woman you gave me. She's the one that caused me to give in to temptation. He's blaming Eve, and he's blaming God. God, you're the one who did this to me. God, you set me up. Everything was great before she showed up. What could I do but fall? It's a trap. I'm a victim. I blame you, God. But what does James say? James says, chapter 1, verse 13, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Why? Because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. I want you to notice those words, dragged away and enticed. Dragged away is a hunting term. It's a term where a bait, it's an idea where the bait would be set and the prey would be drawn in to that bait. Why? Because of its own internal desire or longing for the bait. Enticed, that's a fishing term. It's this idea that the fish's internal desire, its internal longings for, uh, would draw it to that actual bait. James is saying, when you and I give in to temptation, it's not God's fault. God's not doing it. Don't make excuses. Because the reality is it's our own internal desires that are pulling us into that temptation. To which we might say, well, okay, well, if it's not God, well, the devil made me do it. You know, he's the one who made me do it. James says, no, 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 no. The devil didn't make you do it. He may have set you up, and that's what he likes to do, to set us up to fail and to fall, but he doesn't actually do it. We make the choice. We choose. We do it out of our own will and volition. We decide whether or not we will take the bait. James says to you and I, accept responsibility. Don't blame God, don't blame the devil, don't blame others when we give or when you give or when I give into temptation. To which we say, man, this no-spin message by, from James, it's very counter to what our culture tells us, isn't it? Because the reality is our culture is screaming at you and I to blame to blame, blame society, blame government, blame the environment, blame your actions, blame it on the lousy directions that came with that item that you're trying to assemble from Ikea. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? How often have I tried to follow directions and I end up breaking something, messing it up, destroying it. And I was trying to find, follow directions. I was like, it's not me. It's these lousy directions. Recently, um, I needed to change the blades on my lawnmower. And, and I was like, I can do this. And so I open up the lawnmower directions. I'm like, okay, I just want to make sure I know how to do this. So I read them. And it says in there how to take them out and then install the new ones. And then you need to torque the bolt 
to a certain number. Well, I don't remember what the number is. Torque it to a certain number. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Like, I got I to gotta get to it. Can I just, you know, tighten it? And I'm like, okay, well, it says to torque it. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to be on America's Funniest Home Videos because I didn't tighten it tight enough. And all of a sudden, my feet are sliced off. And so I'm like, all right, I guess I should probably follow the directions. So I don't have a torque wrench to know how to get to that number. So I go and I buy a torque wrench. So now I'm reading the directions on the torque wrench. How do you use a torque wrench? Some of you are like, well, that's obvious. I've never used one, so I didn't know. I just normally turn things until, you know, it's tight enough. So, okay, you got to get to this number. So you set the number, and then it tells you, set the number until you hear a click, and then you know you've reached that number. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to hear a click. Is it a loud click, a soft click? Is it an obvious click? Will it, like, is there a chance I'll miss the click? I'm thinking all this before I even start. But it doesn't tell me any of that. The person who wrote the directions never thought about real life and what people are thinking. I'm like, okay, well, I'll listen to a click. So I put the, the thing on and I start to turn it, you know, and crank down. And I'm, and I'm listening for the what? The click. And I'm going and I'm like, was that a click? <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I just heard a click. It might have been a click, but that just didn't seem like something. And then I'm like, well, maybe I'm supposed to feel it as the click happens. And I'm like, I don't think I felt something or did I feel something? So that's happening and I'm going like, like well, that probably wasn't a click because it seems like it could go a lot tighter. So I keep going and keep torquing and then I'm like, Maybe it was a click. And so then I back out, and I'm like, okay, let's try it again. And I reset it and reset it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this again. And so I'm listening, and I'm going, and I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm feeling anything. I don't, I don't know if I've heard a click. I, maybe that, I, I just don't know. And so I'm like, well, maybe it's going to be obvious. It says when you hear a click. So I'm like, I'm just, I must be just hypersensitive here. So I just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. <sighs> and I strip the bolt, and it just spins and spins and spins and spins. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm trying to follow the directions. That's not my fault. I've, I've thought to myself when that happened, you know something? If I ever retire one day, I'm going to take a job writing directions. Because when you buy things, have you noticed that when you read the directions, there's no way the person who wrote the directions has ever assembled that? Man, I think I could make good money, maybe go on YouTube or something and start, you know, doing real directions for real normal people. It wasn't my fault. We blame heredity. We blame our parents. We blame our spouse. We blame our kids. We blame the boss. We blame the situation. We blame the directions. We blame God. We blame the devil. We do everything but take responsibility. And James says if you want to overcome temptation, if you want to be victorious, take responsibility for your own life. Take responsibility for Chris, for you breaking that bolt, though it's very hard to take responsibility. Don't blame God, the devil, or anybody else for your actions or behaviors. Own the choices that you make. 
How else can we be victorious and overcome temptation? We want to be clear-minded. What does it mean to be clear-minded? It means that we have a clear understanding of how temptation actually works. Which is to say it means, man, we're not naive about how temptation works. We're not gullible about how temptation works. We're not unperceptive about how temptation works and how we get tempted. James says it this way, James chapter 1, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Peter said it this way. He said, be clear-minded and be alert. Man, you and I are going to have a far better chance of overcoming temptation and being victorious in our lives if we're clear-minded about how temptation works. So the question is, how does it work? How's that process, that journey work? How do we get tempted? James tells us. Back to James 1 verse 14, he says, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire. Everybody say desire. By our own evil desire and enticed. The temptation process always begins with our desires. Most of the desires we have are are okay. We have a desire to eat and drink and sleep. We have our sexual desires. We have our desires to accomplish, our desires for significance, our desires to be liked or to be loved. We have those desires for, for pleasure and to be safe and to be satisfied. God gives us those desires. But the question is, what do you and I do with those desires? What do we do with those desires? Do we bring those desires under the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives? Which means, do we say yes to God's will and God's way for our life? Do we bring those desires under the authority of God's word and what God's word says to us? Or do we let those desires then deceive us? Everybody say deceive. There's desires which can lead to deception. Deception's the next part of the temptation process. Do we let our desires deceive us away from God's will and God's way for our life? Do we let our desires deceive us away from what God's word says to us? Because when that happens, when we allow our desires to deceive us, then the next part of the temptation process is that we will disobey. Everybody say disobey. Desires that that are going to lead us away to deception. Deception leads to disobedience. James says this, verse 15, then after desire has conceived. In other words, we're justifying. We're justifying that our way is the right way and not God's way. That our plan is better than God's plan. That our opinion is better than what God's reasoning is. The desire conceives, James says, and goes on and says, and it gives birth to sin. What's sin? Sin is simply disobeying God. God tells us to do one thing, and we choose to do something else. Our disobedience to God, our sin, it always began back with a thought, with a desire We allow that thought, we allow that desire to deceive us away from what God's word says, which then leads us to our actions. For example, let's say we have a desire to eat. If we let that deceive us, we're going to disobey God's wisdom. What's God's wisdom? Well, he tells us, let's take the topic of food. He says, everything's beneficial, 
But what does he also say? He says, but not every, but we will not be mastered by anything. And so rather than be mastered by food, we disobey God and we choose to lose control with our food consumption. In other words, gluttony. In other words, we're not honoring God with our bodies. What about our desire for sex? Well, if we let our, our desire for sex deceive us, we will justify sexual activity outside of God's one and only plan for humanity, which is having sex in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman alone. And if we choose to, diso- if we choose to disobey God, and choose to participate in sexual immorality, we are then thus dishonoring God with our sexual desires. What about our desire to be loved or liked? If we let that deceive us, the desire to be loved or liked, we're going to seek love and acceptance, or we're going to seek our identity in someone, some group of people, or something or some accomplishment, rather than finding our true identity in Christ. And thus we are not honoring God with our lives. Deception, our desires lead to deceptions. Deception leads to our disobedience. Our disobedience leads to the final piece of the temptation process, and that is death. James says, James chapter 1, verse 15, after desire is conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. By the way, he's talking there death from a a holistic sense. Death in this life, not just physically when you die, it passes from this life, but death in this life, meaning you're not experiencing abundant life in Christ when you disobey God and you you give in to temptation. You're living less than what God has for you, death in this life, but also in the life to come. I don't know if you've ever seen a baby tiger before. If you have, they're one of the cutest things in the world. Baby tigers are cute, maybe even fun to play with when they're a baby. But a fully grown seven-year-old tiger on the stage of the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas on October 3rd, 2003, that wasn't cute or fun. That fully grown tiger was performing with Siegfried and Roy. And that tiger bit into Roy's neck and then literally dragged him off stage. Roy flatlined on the operating table. And surgeons Dr. Jay Coates and Dr. Alan McIntyre, they had to bring him back to life. Roy had raised that tiger from birth played with it until it was fully grown, which almost led to his death. It certainly changed his entire life. You see, James is saying to you and I, if we are deceived into following our desires outside of and apart from God's will and God's way, outside of what God's word says for us and how to live our lives, if we do that, it's like playing with a fully grown tiger. That tiger will eventually turn on us and seek to kill us. When our desires are fully grown, so to speak, when those desires have turned on us, we give in to sin. We succumb to sin. 
it leads to devastating results for you and I. Even death. Death in this life, not living and experiencing the abundant life Jesus has for you, and death in the life to come. So James says, I want you to take responsibility. I want you to stop making excuses and justifying your behaviors or blaming others when you succumb to temptation or when you give in to temptation. He says, I want us to be clear-minded about how that temptation process works. It's going to start with your desires. And those desires have the potential to deceive us. And that deception that we, that we allow in our lives will eventually lead us to disobeying God. And when we're disobeying God, man, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable ultimately in that disobedience it's going to lead to death. Okay, fair enough, pastor. I'll take responsibility. I'll do that. What does it look like? What does it look like to take responsibility so that I can overcome temptation and I can be victorious in my life? Well, James goes on, he wants us to redirect our focus. Redirect our focus. I want you to see James chapter 1, verse 17. He says this, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. See, you might be caught up in desires and temptations right now. They're tearing you down. They're tearing you apart. But James says, man, we have this gracious heavenly father who pours out good gifts on our life. So redirect your focus and your attention on those good gifts that God is pouring out in your life. The apostle Paul, he talks about this. He frames it with different language. He says it this way, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, fix your thoughts. He's saying, focus your thoughts. Redirect your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So James says all good and perfect gifts come from the Father above. The Apostle Paul says those good and perfect gifts, man, they're all around you. Look for them. There's things all around you that are good and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. And so he says to focus or, or fix or redirect your thoughts on those. Why? Because it's our thoughts that fuel our desires, and it's our desires that lead to our behaviors. So if you and I, if we can redirect our thoughts, we're better set up to redirect our behavior. For example, imagine, imagine if you made a commitment. I, every single day, I am going to deliberately, purposely focus on what is pure and admirable. Like that's a, that becomes part of your life. You're fixing your thoughts. You're redirecting your thoughts on what is pure and admirable. Then when temptation comes your way, something comes out to you and you all of a sudden realize, man, that temptation is not pure, it's not admirable. And you see it, you're not being deceived into it. And because you've redirected your thoughts on what is pure and admirable and excellent, you're able to now not be deceived and you're able to redirect your behaviors. 
oh man, I'm in that circumstance, I'm in that situation, I can see clearly now that it's not pure, it's not excellent, it's not praiseworthy, so I'm going to redirect my behaviors, I'm getting out of that situation, I'm getting out of that circumstance, I'm watching something on TV and on, that I've maybe even watched before, but man, I've been fixing my thoughts, redirecting my thoughts, and I'm not going to be tempted now, I'm going to turn that off, I'm going to change channel, I'm going to walk out of the movie, whatever the, the case may be. You may find yourself in, a, in your job right now, and realizing as you fix your thoughts on what's pure, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, you're like, man, this environment is toxic for me. It's been tearing me down, and I've been succumbing to temptation, and I know this isn't what God has for me. And you, for some of you, you're like, man, I'm going to redirect my behaviors. I'm getting out of here. Now, maybe you don't have that luxury, and, and that's where you grab your small group, and you come around, and you figure it out. But some of you, it is time to redirect in terms of even being a part of that, turning the other way. I think about Joseph. He was, in a, he was in a temptation situation. And what did he do in that situation? He literally turned and he ran out of the house. He got out of there. He never went back. He had to get away. Maybe there's a relationship that's bringing you down. It's causing you to, to succumb to temptation in your life and sin. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us bad company corrupts good character or good morals. So some of you, as you've been redirecting your thoughts on what is pure, excellent, praiseworthy, and admirable, and all of a sudden you realize this is a toxic relationship and i got to get out of this relationship and I need to move on from this. Do you want to be victorious? Do you want to actually overcome temptation? Then redirect your focus. Redirect it. Fix your thoughts on what is pure and excellent and lovely and admirable and not on what is pulling you away and pulling you down. And then you'll be able to redirect your behaviors. Finally, if you want to overcome temptation and be victorious in your life over temptation and sin, it's time for a rebirth, to be reborn. James says in James chapter 1, verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James says, it's time to fully surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So often I see people who follow Christ, who are Christians, Jesus followers, who practice what I call selective surrender. They surrender to God in certain areas of their life, but not in others. So it's no wonder we succumb to the temptation. James says it's time to be reborn, to have a rebirth, to fully surrender to him. Second Peter says the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials. It's God who's going to save you, not you. You can't have enough willpower to overcome temptation. It's not possible. You need Jesus, a surrendering fully to him. Second Timothy says the, his spirit fills us with power, love, and self-control or self-discipline, the ability to overcome. It's his spirit. We need him in our lives. And I close with 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. Whatever you're going through, it's not beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What a great promise. You say, I just couldn't help myself. God says, that's not true. You've just been depending on yourself and not depending on God. 
So right now, for every single person in this room, God is asking you, do you want to overcome? Do you want to be victorious? Do you want to experience abundant life, the life I have for you, and not death? If you want that, it's time to fully surrender to him. Surrender to the Lordship, which means he's in charge of your life. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give every single person in this room an opportunity in a moment to talk to God and pray about that. If you're a Jesus follower and you've been selectively surrendering, today's your day to have that renewal, that rebirth, that recommitment to Christ. There might be some of you here today. Jesus is not yet your Lord and Savior. You've been going at life alone. Man, he loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to come into your life and save you, to give you new life, a rebirth, to be reborn, to have abundant life, life to the fullest. So I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to be your Lord and Savior. He'll come in. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll give you life here and life eternally. And you'll have the confidence to know you where you will go when you pass from this life that you will be in the presence of Almighty God. So, are you ready to let Him guide you? Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.